Welcome to Let's Open the Bible, where our goal is to open the Bible and look at what it says. For the next few minutes, we will be looking at a passage from one book. We will continue weekly until we finish that book. I'm Tom Nordstrom, and with me is Bill, Casey, and Nate. Welcome to Let's Open the Bible. This is season number three, episode number two. We are in the book of Mark. We are so glad you joined us today. And with me, I have Nate and Tom, and we are going to do the reading first. It's going to be Mark chapter one, verses 12 through 24. We will read that passage, and then we will discuss some of the things that are within it. And so Nate's going to go ahead and read the passage here. All right. Mark chapter one, verses 12 through 24. Immediately, the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was in the he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, saying, "The time is fulfilled; the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel." And he was going along by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you uh, become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat, mending their nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching as one of them having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in the synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do you have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. All right, that is Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 12 through 24. I've got some things, but I'll... Do you guys have anything? Well, I think you made mention last time that uh, Mark seems to be really focused on getting us to his teaching. Immediately he went and did this. Immediately this happened. Immediately, immediately, immediately. And he doesn't really spend a lot of time on, like, his being in the wilderness, you know. So I think that's a um, an interesting aspect of Mark's gospel is things are happening now. Mm-hmm. It's almost like Mark is writing to today's people. We have a, such a short attention span that we can't find the, okay, here's a lesson here, but let's go right over, over here and get this to, to this point. Yeah, yeah there's definitely an, an immediacy to... Uh, what he is saying. Uh, We see it over and over and over. I believe I just looked, and it's 42 times in this gospel we see the word immediately. So Mark is really cutting to the chase and talking about how, you know, much, it seems like this is how much Jesus is doing, and this is, uh, you know, so much is packed into this. I think it's in John, the end of the gospel of John, we see John say, you know, there's so many more things that Jesus did, but if we were to write it down, there's not enough books in the world that could contain what Jesus did, and it seems to really be showing with this that Jesus' his life was action-packed. He was always doing something. 
um, in his ministry. Um, and it seems to me, you know, the other Gospels account for a lot more of what happened when Jesus went in the, was in the wilderness. He was tempted by Satan. Um, but this book is focused on how Jesus affected others and what his teaching and preaching was to others. And so it kind of just glosses over all right, Jesus was in the wilderness. He was tempted for 40 days, and then he continued about his business. Um, so it doesn't take a lot of time there. Um, also interesting, as I read this, I noted it says the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. Um, the Spirit played a role in that. Um, it kind of reminds me of Job in the Old Testament. Um, so, you know, he didn't just go out there just unknowingly, not knowing what he's getting to. No, the Spirit uh, played a role in uh, taking him out into the wilderness where he was tempted uh, by Satan. I think on that note, if we can bounce around some application here and open a can of worms, um, I think sometimes we have this theology that God, you know, we see in James, what we went over last week, God, is, God does not tempt us. But it seems like we have this theology that God has almost taken a back seat and God is inactive today and he doesn't teach us and lead us places and show us things and and open doors and close doors um, and teach us through the trials of our life. And I, I don't think that's true. I think the Bible teaches the opposite. James teaches that God does not tempt us with evil. God is not evil and God does not want to tempt us. However, it seems here, you know, we read that the Spirit of God led Jesus into, into, the, into the wilderness to be tempted. Well, that's, you know, that seems really harsh and, and almost unlike God, but it's not unlike God. Um, and I think there's a difference between the two words tempt and test, and God can test us. Uh, we see that with Job. We see that here. And I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, Nate or Tom, but I think that word test is kind of the same word as refine. Um, so it's you're refined by the fire, so you're tested under the strength, and then you come out stronger on the other side. So um, God does allow us or allow us to go through these tests, but he does not tempt us. Um, and there's a difference between those two words. We, we are frequently told in the, I believe, Paul's letters about being refined, like, yeah. like gold. And you can't refine gold any other way than heating it up and getting all the impurities to come to the top so that that can be scraped off. I know um, it's mentioned in First Peter. That's the one I can think of off the top of my head. But I think there's a similarity between the words test and refine. Yeah. I don't know that for sure, but I, it seems that that's kind of jogged my memory. You know, Nate makes a good point about us being having a, well, God doesn't talk to us. And I've said it. I know Nate has said it because I've heard him. Well, he has to talk to us in order to get us to go someplace. Now, is he telling us, you got to do this, to be saved, no, because we have his inspired, everything we need is in the Bible to become saved. But I'm sure when Nate first went to preaching school, last place he thought he would be would be here on South Dakota. And yet somewhere along the line, he got the idea, hey, this is what I want to do. And God put it on his heart. And when here on South Dakota became available, I'm even sure when he first heard about it, he was not like, yeah, I want to go there. It was more of God had to kind of put little places in. And so in that aspect, God is talking to us. Yeah, I think uh, we, often, we often downplay 
we downplay the role um, that God has in our lives in the Spirit, and and I think some people really, really downplay it, and some people really, really overdo it. Um, with the Spirit is, you know, suddenly we're we're driving through the Walmart parking lot, and we're not sure what parking spot to go to, and we say, "Oh, the Spirit, let me hear." Well, you know, are we overdoing? I think maybe we're overdoing what the Spirit does and the role that it has, but sometimes. Um, we underdo it, and we say, well, we, we really limit the sphere and try and box it in, and I think the best thing that we can do is make a make a compilation of, of Bible verses and concepts and principles. Here's what the Spirit does. We know it does this and this and this and this and this. Let's not give it any more credit and not any less credit than what the Bible tells us. And I think sometimes I would say that a lot of people have prayed the prayer before, you know, God, guide us in this and help us make a wise decision. And so if we're going to pray that, how else do we expect God to guide us, then, you know, to close some doors and open some doors and kind of lead us in the right direction. Um, and so um, I think when we doubt those things, we're limiting the role that the Spirit plays in our lives. Yeah. And uh, I, after, it doesn't take very long of studying the Old Testament to see, I, I it sounds almost, you know, like witchcrafty or like, um, you know, magical to say it this way, but God is pulling strings. I mean, God is moving pieces around and doing things behind the scenes that we can't see. That's what Romans 8.28, New Testament, tells us. Um, God is working things together for good for those that love the Lord, and that word working together for good um, is the Greek word that we would translate to energy. Um, it's moving pieces around. God is God is doing things um, in our you know realm and our world that we don't see. And so, I don't know, I guess we kind of really jumped off on that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. But the point is that I think that I guess we're trying to make is that we need to be careful about whenever something happens in our life, we need to be careful of of who we accredit that to, and, and we are very quick to label, you know, Satan's doing this, or God is doing this, or, you know, this is just the natural course. But uh, we need to be careful, and, and the Bible tells us that God is doing things that we might not... Um, God is doing things that we that we might not fully understand. I mean, we can't put a a label and our understanding. Maybe the bottom line is we can't place our human understanding on God's wisdom um, and what He is doing uh, in our lives. Okay, we can move on from that. Um, I see. One thing is this continuation of the word wilderness. Uh, Jesus went into the wilderness, and that's a continuation of, it talked about John was in the wilderness. So here we see four times um, in just these first 13 verses of Mark, the wilderness is mentioned, um, which seems to be you know somewhat uh, significant with as much as it's repeated. John came preaching in the wilderness, and now Jesus is led into the wilderness to be tempted. Um, I think, excuse me. I think that um, it, actually that's a theme kind of throughout the Bible because the children of Israel will live 40 years in the wilderness. And I think the implication there is there's nothing to distract us in the wilderness from, you know, from God and his message. Um, you get into a urban setting and we have so much to distract us even in a small town like we live in there's so much to distract us 
you know, we have football practice for our kids. We have band practice for our kids. Our wife wants to go out, you know, to dinner. And out in the wilderness, you don't have that. You have, you know, once you get whatever shelter you need set up, then there's not a lot to distract you. And you can stop and see the beautiful sunrise that God has given us or the beautiful sunset. Or as was made mention here, he's with the wild animals. The beauty of just nature in itself uh, yeah, I think that's a good point. Jesus often went away to be by himself and to, you know, pray and to be devoted to God. However, even whenever he was in the wilderness off by himself, who was there? Satan was there, um, and he was tempting him. So Satan, I think the lesson we learn is Satan is, you know, always looking for an opportunity. We see, um, I think it's also in First Peter, that Satan is like a, a lion seeking whom he may devour. Um, Satan is wanting to tempt us. Um, I mean, I think there's no boundaries or no off-limits for where Satan's going to go. Just because no. you think you're in the wilderness and you're on your own, well, Satan's there too. So don't think that he's not going to follow you wherever you wind up at, whether that's a city, out in the wilderness, wherever it's at, Satan's going to follow. So no, that, that wasn't what yeah, I was trying and, to do. And I know that. We're just trying to make sure that people understand. But the distractions that Satan has for sure. in the wilderness right. aren't, as great as they yes, are here. I now, there, there are because, you know, in the wilderness, there are dangerous animals. You know, you can step on a snake and get bit and die out in the wilderness. Chances of you stepping on a snake in an urban setting, not as much. Yeah, it's different. Yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. Okay, so uh, something else that we see is I think extremely significant is Jesus came to Galilee and he was preaching the gospel of God. Um, and he goes on to tell us exactly what this gospel was. And remember, gospel means good news. It's a, it's a message of good news. And he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So as, as I was learning Mark and studying Mark, you know, a lot of times, gospel, we're like, okay, yeah, the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And while in the grand, like in the, we've taken that information, and that is the, like, stereotypical, that's the gospel. However, here, gospel is not the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That hasn't even happened yet. But Jesus comes preaching the gospel, and he's not preaching about his death, burial, and resurrection. He's preaching this other good news that's called a gospel message, um, and the, the gospel or the good news that he's preaching in the first century, before he's died, buried, and resurrected, was the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, um, and so repent and believe in this gospel or believe in this good news. So the essence of his message is the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And he's talking about with the words the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, it seems like what he's saying is hey, the time has come. It's happening. Uh, you know, in the Old Testament, we hear all these prophecies about a Messiah coming and a king like David coming. We see in, I think it's Galatians 4.4, 4, it says, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. So there's this perfect time that Jesus was going to come to earth and do, you know, the incarnation was going to happen. 
and the ministry was going to happen. And the good news is that Jesus is saying, hey, it's happening right now. I am here. Um, the kingdom of God is at hand. And that idea with the kingdom of God, what I understand he's saying is Mark has a lot to do about authority and who is your king, who is who are you following. The Jews at the time that he came to had kicked God out. They had followed their own laws. They were um, somewhere in Mark we see Jesus is talking to scribes and Pharisees, and he says, you've become experts at setting aside God's rule or God's law and making rules of your own. Um, but Jesus is saying, hey, it's God's kingdom is here. God's the king, and, and it, that is full force right now that I'm here, and uh, this ministry is, is starting. How many people today are wait, still waiting for the kingdom to show up? Yeah. You know, it's... You're talking about like premillennialism? Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, there are literally millions of people out in the world today who are still waiting for God's kingdom to show up, and yet Jesus is preaching. It's here. Yeah. We're getting ready to go. You know, the, and I think another way this could be read is Jesus is proclaiming that the promise that God gave Abraham is being fulfilled because God's promise to Abraham was that the whole earth... All the nations of the world were going to be blessed through Abraham. Yeah. And he is here fulfilling that. And I think all these promises come full circle in Acts chapter 2 when the church is established. Yes. So everything kind of culminates in that Acts chapter 2, that event. So the promise here is a little bit different because none of that has happened yet. But full scale, it comes all back to Acts chapter 2. Well, well, he says the kingdom is at hand. So yes. it's not in the hand yet, but it's... It's right there. Yeah. You know, it's within sight of where we're, what will ultimately become his kingdom, the church. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, so the gospel, there's two pieces of this gospel message. One, the time is fulfilled. So, like, it's, it's happening. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here we go. It's, it's all starting. So, what is, he calls for two responses now repent and believe in this gospel. Um, and so, these people, the, the idea of repent is to turn around, to change the way you think, change the way you act, um, turn towards me, and then believe. And this word believe um, is the idea of, of trust. You know, we think of believe, and we were, me and Katie were watching a Christmas movie last night, and, you know, about Santa, and it was, it was the Santa Claus, and it talked about how adults don't believe in Santa Claus, but kids do, and you know, believe is kind of this magical word to us, and we hear, you know, we're supposed to believe in Jesus, and it seems almost, believe is kind of a far-off word, it seems like sometimes, but really the word believe means to trust, um, to, with with your whole being, you know, trust that God is, is uh, doing what he says he's doing, and so we have to, these people, we're supposed to repent, to change the way they thought, change the way they acted, and turn towards Jesus because he is here, and they were supposed to believe in the gospel. They were supposed to trust um, what Jesus was saying and doing, the miracles that he was doing, and the message that he was preaching. You know, we need to jump ahead just a little bit when he goes to Capernaum. We see that uh, the people there saw that he was teaching with authority. Mm-hmm. And so this belief that he's talking about is not a blind belief. You have to base your belief on something. It's not a blind... Christianity 
has a reputation of, oh, you just got to have faith and it's a blind faith. No, it's you have something to peg your belief on. And that, if he was preaching with authority like he was in Capernaum, which more than likely is the case, he's telling them, you see how I'm teaching, you see how I'm presenting this gospel. That's what you believe. You can see that this is the promise being fulfilled. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, that's significant about Jesus preaching with authority. And I think the, the main idea there, what I understand, is that these, these scribes and Pharisees, they would teach um, views. Um, they would say, you know, this this significant rabbi or this significant teacher teaches this, and so this is what I'm going to teach you. And it was all about passing passing down traditional teachings from rabbis. But Jesus comes and he kicks the door in, and he doesn't say, you know, this is Rabbi Hillel's view or or Gamaliel's view of this. He says he was teaching as he had his own authority. Um, and in verses, you know, 21 or sorry, yeah, 21 through. 20 it goes down through 27 says there's this whole people have all these reactions to jesus in verse 22 it says they were amazed at his teaching because he had authority um in verse 27 it says they were all amazed what is this a new teaching with authority um so jesus the new you could say the new kid on the block the new guy who's shown up he doesn't sound the same as everybody else he he's not this you know, scribe that teaches, we're going to learn what this rabbi says and learn what this rabbi says. He brings a new authority to uh, God's Word, and people are noticing. People catch wind of that. They're amazed at what he has to say and the authority that he says it with. And I guess application for us is that the gospel is often going to be abrasive and counter to what other people are teaching and preaching. You know, if we just go alongside with what everyone else says— then we're not teaching what the gospel says, and so the gospel oftentimes is very abrasive. Um, you kind of—it seems throughout Scripture you see there's kind of two distinct actions. You know, people either you know are astonished to believe, or they are angry and upset, and they throw the tables over. And so, um, I think it's our job to accept that fact. And you know, like not everyone's going to accept the gospel, but those who are open to it and have an open heart are going to accept it. Uh, that authority that we see Jesus teaching with, I think we can see, get a glimpse of that in Matthew, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Mm-hmm. You know, you have heard it said this, mm-hmm. but I say to you, yeah. you know, and I remember years back, somebody once said that that was Jesus perfecting the law. You know, it wasn't, you, you've, heard, um, you've heard it said not to commit adultery. But I say, don't even look at a woman with lust in your eyes. That's the perfect law. That's what don't commit adultery means. You know, you don't look at a man or a woman with lust in your eyes. You look at them as God's creation, a a lost soul or a saved soul. Those are the two categories that a person is in. Yeah. So Jesus comes and he has this new standard. Jesus talks about... Um, right at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. It's either right at the beginning or right at the end. I think it's at the beginning. He says, um, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter into the kingdom of heaven. So he comes and he he raises this standard of righteousness. 
Um, and that's what he's – it seems that – Tom's right. It seems that that's what he's doing here is he comes and he's teaching with this new authority. Um, it's not about the righteousness and the traditions of the scribes and Pharisees. He says this is straight from, from God. Uh, this is the new standard. This is the, the true standard. Um, so you've, you've been taught this, not so much. But you've been taught this error that lying was this, but this is actually what lying is. It's right. There, there's not a little white lie. There's a lie. It doesn't matter if it's a small one or a big one. You know, it's a lie. That's the standard. And um, I remember there was a member here long time ago. When she has since passed away, but she tells the story of a Catholic priest was talking to somebody else that she was in a Bible study with, and the person was like, "Well, what if there's a penny and you came and took it?" And he's like, "Well, that's that's just a little sin." It's like, "But what if I need that penny to pay my bills? Yeah. Is it still a little sin if you've taken everything that I had to pay?" And the priest didn't have any answer for it. It's like, well, it's a sin because you're stealing. It doesn't belong to you. Yeah. Jesus raised that standard of righteousness back in Matthew. Yeah, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, we skipped a section between um, Jesus coming and preaching the gospel of God, and then we went to teaching with this new authority, uh, starting in verse 21. We skipped a section, um, verses 16 through 20, and it's where Jesus calls his first disciples. Um, and so another significant word in the book of Mark is the word follow. Um, and what we're going to see in 834, as we skip way, way, way ahead, chapter 8, verse 34, I've heard it argued that, that Mark 834 is like the crux of the book. This is the central point of the, bo- of the book, and everything before and everything after comes down to what Jesus says in Mark 834, which is, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And that's an example of the, the whole book of Mark is, is Jesus setting the example of how to do that and what it means to do that, what it looks like to do that. And uh, here we see, so, so going off, rewinding all the way back to chapter 1 where we are, here we see the first examples of that being done, of, of people following Jesus. And we see that keyword show up. Um, these guys were fishermen. We see Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. They were all fishermen, and Jesus called them, and he said, follow me. And they left their nets. They left their father. They left their boats. They left their job. They left everything. Notice that word immediately. They left immediately, and they followed Jesus. Um, so here is a the prime example of what does it look like to um, follow. And it seems that they took this gospel of God, you know, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Whenever Jesus came and he called them, they immediately repented, they believed, they trusted, and they, you know, full force followed Jesus. And that is, the again, the example of what we are to do um, with the preaching and teaching of Jesus as well. Will we act like Peter and Andrew and James and John, or will we slough it off and... Uh, ignore it for as long as we can until it comes back to bite us. Yeah, I've met many a people and studied with people that, 
you know, they're on the verge of being converted and they've studied and they've, they know what to do and their reasoning for not doing it is because, oh, well, my great grandma or my grandma, you know, I just can't fathom that they didn't live the way they were supposed to. And that to me is, you know, they're not willing to leave their family behind for the sake of Jesus. You know, what would that individual want them to do if they were presented with the same information? And I assume, I would hope, if they loved that individual, they would uh, hope that they would obey the gospel. And so these men, you know, regardless, they left their father, they left their family. They were willing to give those things up, their job, their livelihood, um, their means of making money um, to follow Jesus. So they were willing to give up everything. You know, often, I wonder about what we're willing to give up to follow Jesus. Um, you know, most people aren't willing to give up a whole lot. They still want to live a relatively comfortable life to follow Jesus. And, and you know, I don't think we need to sell our house and sell our cars to follow Jesus, but I do think we need to be willing to give up things if that's what it takes. Well, you know, it goes back to it goes back to um, what Nate had to give up. I mean, I'm sure Nate would prefer to have his kids closer to his grandparents, but they're not that far away, but they're still a distance away. You've given up that support group of your parents and Katie's parents being there to help you in times of trouble to be up here preaching the gospel. I mean, that might not be... um, the same thing, but it is on a on a certain level. You, you, oh, I can't leave my parents. Well, then you really don't want to follow God, you know. And it, and to um, Casey's point, you know, I had somebody tell me that I can't believe that my mom. If, if I believe what you're teaching me, then I'm condemning my mom to hell. And it's like, if your mom had the same access to the gospel that you do. And if she was, if she's no longer with us, do you think she would want you to follow her wherever she's at, or follow God? Yeah. And that's, you know, you may love your mom, you may love your grandma, and if they loved you, they don't want you wherever they're at, unless they're in heaven. Then they want you there too. You know, do you guys think there's anything? A lot of people preach that. Uh, you know, the Bible is very anti-rich and pro-poor. And yet, here in his calling of the first disciples, they're fishermen, and they're successful enough. They have boats. They have servants. You know, so Peter, um, Simon, and or Peter, James, and John, and you know, they weren't poor fishermen they had enough wealth so we're not talking they're leaving a part-time job they're they may not be ceos but they're up there in the corporation you know so it's not that all of his disciples were poor dirt poor farmers and things like that they were wealthy people and you know god made men and he blessed people with talents and part of the talent that I believe is knowing how to handle money. And, and, and there are some people who just have no earthly desires as far as I, I need to have this 
the newest iPhone, to use an example, or I need to drive the greatest car. They're perfectly happy driving the a nice car, but not the most expensive car. And I think that, you know, we're, we fall into a trap if we think that the Bible is pro-poor or anti-rich or poor-rich, anti-poor, because it's neither or. Yeah, I, de- I don't think that the Bible is anti-rich and pro-poor at all. I do think there is, over and over and over in the Gospels, the theme that we see is that those who have a lot of wealth and those who have a lot on this earth cannot see through that in order to see spiritual things. But those that are poor uh, physically and materially are able to see the um, the importance of spirituality. So it's not inherently being rich is wrong and being poor is good, but it's that being rich makes it can often make it hard to see the importance of things. But yeah, I think you're I think you make a very valid point. And I think that it's not they cannot see through those things, it's that they struggle to it. It creates an extra barrier. Um and so it's not impossible by any means. You know, you can be a millionaire, billionaire and be a faithful Christian. It's not impossible. It makes it I think somewhat more difficult, but and it presents challenges that you wouldn't have if you were poor, but um you can still be a Christian nonetheless. Um, I think it's the parable of the talents where Jesus says that to him who has much, much will be given, and to him who has little, even what he has will be taken away. And I think that's a, that goes to the point of how you use what you're given. And it's not so much that if you're poor, everything's going to be taken from you, or if you're rich, you're going to be given more either. So. Um. So here we have, uh, I'm done if y'all are done. Is that everything? Um, so the first, um, we're coming up on the end of chapter 1 of Mark. Today we've done 12 through 24. We see Jesus comes preaching the gospel of God, repent, believe in the gospel. Um, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. We see he calls his first disciples, and they follow him. Um, and then we see... Lastly, in that section, we see that he went to Capernaum. He was teaching with authority in the synagogues. Um, so as we continue to move through the life of Jesus, we continue to see example um, after example of what it means to truly follow him. And Jesus, this whole ministry is starting to kind of shape out. And as we go through, continue through Mark, we're going to continue to see more examples of how to react to Jesus and what to do and what not to do. And... So this is just still, we're, we're taking off with this ministry um, with Jesus. Um, we encourage you, if you have any questions, to reach out to us. Let us know. And we thank you for joining us on today's podcast. And we will see you on the next one. Bye. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of the Let's Open the Bible podcast. If you have any questions or if you want to talk about the next steps in your faith journey, uh, or you are interested in receiving the daily Bible verse over text that corresponds to the content of this podcast, reach out to us at openthebible2022 at gmail.com, and we will get back with you. Uh, We thank you for listening, and we will catch you on the next one. Have a good day.